0: Graceway sermon cast. Graceway is a Baptist church located in Lexington, Kentucky. We have a heart for God and a deep love for people. You can learn more about our church by visiting www.gracewaylex.org. Now, here's this week's message. You know, our, our next few weeks, one of our goals is to uh, kind of relook at the foundations of who we are as a church, how we established, came together. And we're doing that for two reasons. One is because we're always in need of a reminder of that, right? Uh, sometimes when you forget the foundations, you get a little unstable. <laughs> and so it's good for us as a church, living hope to do that, but it's also important, I think, in this season of life as Grace Way is making this transition to be a part of this body of believers together as we go forward from being two fellowships, one family, being one fellowship, one family, that we would just kinda understand what's our bedrock, who we are, how we function, and so we can move forward toward that, and that's gonna be a great thing. So over the next few weeks, between now and the Vision Banquet, we're gonna be looking at some of those bedrock issues, and then beyond that, at the Vision Banquet, we'll be uh, you know, reaffirming what it means for us to walk on together, and we'll have a lot of those groundwork documents that we put together years ago that might fill in some of the blanks, for Grace Way might remind some of those who have been around forever, but then also there are always those who have been around forever but never really read the stuff, right? (laughs) And So sometimes it's good for us that have been around forever to kind of rehash and so we do that for them. Now, having said all that, obviously our foundational uh, uh, bedrock is the word of God. And so, when we get into this stuff a lot of times as churches and we, we talk about who we are and our identity and all that kind of stuff, I mean, right now among church circles, there's this concept called rebranding. And there's a constant re, you know, uh, titling who we are and refreshing our presentation to the community and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, I, I think there's a place for that to a degree, but the reality is we are the body of Christ. That builds our life and who we are on this foundation, right? And everything that we do as a church ought to be on this foundation. And, and what is the core concept we see in the Word of God about what we ought to be as a body of believers? That's, that's what we tried to get a hold of, you know, back in 2001 when we were first getting together as, as determining what should living hope be and what should it be like. What's God calling us to? And in the context of all that, I came together with a group of four or five other guys as we would talk about that and their wives. And, and I was trying to present to them who I was as an individual and what I felt like God had taught me about what the body of Christ is supposed to be and what a church is supposed to be. And I, and I showed up with a document that are out on the table. As you leave, you can get one. I showed up with a piece of paper. And uh, if you want to take one as a family, you can. I'm going to rehash some of that through our message today. But uh, in the, on that document, it basically said at the top, the vision of church as a family. And basically on that, it just says, you know, as I understand it, this is what God's called the church to be. To function like a family. And he's presented himself, God has, as the head of that family. And so we're going to look at those concepts a little bit today. What's that really mean? And what's, you know, that's a thing that we've been talking about in church life forever, right? You know, if I could start it out, I could say, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. Everybody knows that song. And, and we understand this concept that the church is supposed to be like a family. But, but do we really make application of that? And do we function that way? It's one thing to say we understand something. It's another thing to do it, right? Two different things all together. And so how do we, how do we really get a hold of that to the uh, point that we would, as a body of believers, walk together, not just saying we're a family and confessing we're a family, but acting like a family. And living life out like a family. Now, this whole concept used to be real clear what a family was years ago, right? But today's world, it's a messed up idea, isn't it? But we're not going to go by what the world says a family ought to be together today. We're going to go by what the Word of God says a family ought to be together. This is our foundation. And so we want to find out what's God calling us to do as we walk together as a family and how should that be lived out. And that's the bedrock of our existence together as a body of believers. And so as we look at that, look at uh, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 19. We're going to start out with that verse, in verse 20, and we're going to use that as a springboard. So then you are no longer strangers or aliens. Well, the implication there is obvious that you used to be, but you're not now. So outside of the, the, the kingdom of God and outside of the family of God, you were like one who didn't fit in. A stranger, an alien, not really a part of the team. team. But you're not like that anymore. Now you're fellow citizens with a bunch of other dirty, rotten sinners. Is that what it says? It's not what it says, is it? Do you know that that's a, a key component that's very important for us to be able to move forward in functioning as a family of believers together? If we think the family is full of dirty, rotten sinners then guess how the family is going to act? Like dirty, rotten sinners. (laughs) But if we know that the family of God is a family that God has taken from being dirty, rotten sinners, cleansed them by the blood of the Lamb, brought them into His household, and now calls you... Did you realize this? God calls you a saint? Brother Chris, I know that I don't always act like a saint. You are a saint. That's what God says. If you've got a problem with that, you need to argue with Him about it. That's what He says right here. You are a saint who might sometimes sin, not because it's okay, but because you walk in a frail fleshly body that sometimes mis- makes mistakes and messes up. But who you really are, based on God's identification of who you are, if you're in His family, is a saint. Sometimes people live like dirty, rotten sinners because they don't know they're a saint. So it's very important that you get a hold of this idea as you understand who you are in the family of God. You are a saint who may sometimes sin. Matter of fact, the propensity and the probability is that you're going to sin. But you don't have to. You can mature and grow and do less and less of that as time goes on. And I'd venture to say that those of us who are in the family of God have come to understand that are probably sinning a lot less than you used to. I sure hope so doesn't mean that you're going to have a day that you're perfect in every way. The probability is because you're walking in a fleshly body, you're going to end up making a mistake and sinning, but that's not who you are, and that's not what you're going to say is okay for yourself, and you're not going to identify yourself as that. You've got to understand that's not who you are anymore, because you're in a family of the household of God. Now every family has a father, has the beginning of a father in the context of the we're going to talk about a traditional stable family, okay? That's we're talking about God as he presents his family. He's the father of his family. Guess who calls the shots in God's household? He does. He does. Yeah, I mean, when, when you're raising kids in your ho- household, the kid doesn't come and say, guess what, Dad? Today I'm in charge, and from now on, you're going to do things the way I want you to. Exactly. <laughs> it's, we, what's that? Yeah, can I show you the door? <laughs> yes, that's good. Yeah. But sometimes that's the way Christians live in God's family. And they somehow relate to God as its optional that I should live by his household rules or not? It's not. It's not optional. He has a clear desire for how he wants his family to live. He understands something that we all know is true. A child in a home as they grow, do they always do things perfect? Does every one of the children always put their toys away every time they're done playing with them? Anybody got any of those kids? I've never had any of those. I mean, they did it some, yeah. But do they always do everything perfect? Of course not, and the father of the home knows that. But does that make it okay? Well, no, if it was okay, you would never ever say a word to them about it again, right? If it was okay, you would say, hey, live it up and do anything you want to, tear the house down, I don't care. It's not okay. It's understandable because they're immature. And they're growing and learning. And the father, the parents, they know that. They get that. God knows that about you. He knows that about me. But as a father, he still has a clear intention for his household to be lived out in a certain way. And he gives us clear teaching in the word of God about it. And he calls us to his household as saints. Now, this might be a deep thing for you to rethink in your life. Maybe you've never saw yourself as a... When's the last time you looked in the mirror and said, Good morning, saint. When was the last time you thought about yourself and considered, Wow, I am a saint created in the image of God. Redeemed and cleansed by the blood of the lamb and I stand pure in his presence Because of what Jesus did Do you know all the Bible says all of that? About God's children in his household Here's what we're trained to believe We're trained to believe if we accept that identity about ourselves and refer to ourselves that way that we're somehow arrogant We're somehow, you know, holier than thou. We're somehow not taken serious, the fact that we've got room to grow. I mean, all those things should be acknowledged as well, but just not under the context that says, you are a dirty, rotten sinner, a snake in the grass, and ain't worth two cents. But somehow, we've gotten ourselves to believe that if we beat ourselves down, then it's okay for us to live the way we live. You're going to live as you understand who you are. Now, I'm not trying to preach self-help stuff here. I'm trying to tell you what the Bible says about you. The Bible says, you're no longer a stranger, or an alien. You're a fellow citizen with all the saints because you're part of God's household. Wow. I mean, just think about that. What God has done to draw us into his home and his family. Let's go to that next verse. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. In other words, God says this was the whole reason Jesus came. He's the cornerstone of this entire household being built. This was what God had in mind as he sent Christ to redeem us and pay for our sins, to bring us into his household, to be saints in his kingdom, and that we might know that's who we are, so that when we do mess up, we would recognize that's a mess up. That's not my identity. That's not the way I am. I'm going to be. I just, I, I just messed up. God, help me. Can I grow in this? Of course. He's a father going to help you mature and learn. Well, I have I want to preach four or five sermons at once here and I got to be careful that you be telling me where the door is, right? <laughs> so what I want to do this morning is talk about God's household. What's his household supposed to be like? As we're talking about the family of God, This family that God wants to build, that He's called you and I into, that we're no longer strangers and aliens in, but we're now inside that household as saints, those redeemed, bought by the blood, purchased completely, fully His, in which He is the Father. What's that household look like? In this household of God, I want you to know something there is one Father. There is no democracy. Uh-oh. You ever, you ever been, when you was raising up, some of y'all that had really rough childhoods, I mean, maybe one or two, I don't know. And, and you kinda backboned up against mom or dad at some point in time, and you said, you let them know the way it was gonna be, and they let you know where the door was? Let me tell you a little funny story I've told two or three times over the years. Picking on you, Joel, here we go, okay? <laughs> Just so to give you a heads up. Uh, so Joel was maybe five or six years old. I don't remember. He was really, really young at the time. We were living over on Seattle Drive here in, in Lexington. <laughs> and there was something, I don't remember what the rule was. It was time to do something. And Joel was upset. And, you know, he didn't like it in his youthfulness as a kid. And, you know, he decided he's going to run away. I am running away. I said, really? Don't run. Ra- Anybody else had a kid do that? Okay, yeah. Joel's not, he's not unique. Everybody's. <laughs> I'm running away. No, we don't want you to run away. Yes, I'm running away. I don't like it here. I don't like these rules. Well, we're going to miss you. <laughs> Are you sure you want to run away? And he had this little red suitcase that he played with all the time. He actually went and got his suitcase and he had some stuff packed in it. You know, he's getting ready to rock out the front door. And I said, well, hey, wait a minute. Let me see the suitcase. Let's check it out. I want to make sure you got what you need, you know. Oh, you might need something else. What about this toy? You don't want to miss that. We are really going to miss you. Are you sure you want to do that? Yeah, I'm right away. He did. He walked out the front door, walked out the sidewalk to the sidewalk. I stood at the door. Joel, I'm going to miss you, man. You can stay. You don't have to leave. But if you stay, this is the way we live here. And mom and dad's rules have to be followed. What do you make it? A half, maybe two houses down the street. I don't remember what it was. (laughs) He walked about two houses down the street, and pretty soon he turned and come running back home, and he moved back. Of course, we had a party, and we loved it, and it was great. and, And you know, just tried to use it as a moment to say, "Hey, man, we want you here, of course." But when you have a family, you have family rules, right? And that's the way it is with God, and God has some family rules. And God is the father of the household. And believe it or not, he has not released to you the opportunity to come in and say, I don't like these rules. I'm not doing it this way. Now, here's the deal. If Joel had kept on walking, would I still be Joel's dad? Of course I am. I'll always be Joel's dad. Like it or lump it. (laughs) That's the way it is. And I'll always love him and he'll always be welcome back home. But he'll always be my household. And just the same way with God. And God draws us into his family, calls us saints, wants us to walk according to his household plan. And wants us to know he is the father. Now let's talk about him as a father. Because see, our, our concepts... Of our mindset about household and headship in a whole, uh, family. They're flawed because we're not perfect, right? I mean, maybe Joel had some legitimate complaints that day. I don't remember. <laughs> but we have, we have some problems in our, leg, our human households, right? There's not any in God's household. There's no problems in his fatherhood. He's a perfect father for us in every way. In Ephesians 4.4, we're reminded there's one body, one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Here it is. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all, and in all. You want to know why a lot of people struggle in the family of God. They never seem to grow up and mature in their faith. They never seem to get to the place that they're victorious in their Christian life. They're all the time bucking up against the wall. Well, You know what? one of the basic problems that causes that? Is that they've never got to the point that they realize that there is one father. And he is over all. And through all. And in all. The buck stops with him. Not with me just getting this one little bitty thing settled in the heart of a believer can catapult their Christian maturity because they no longer go to war with God. They no longer go to God and say, yeah, but. They no longer go to God and say, well, hey, I want you to hear out my side of the story. They go to God and they say, God, your father, you're you're overall, you have all authority over my life, And I trust you. And I know you have my well-being at heart. And so I'm happy to submit. And I'm happy to walk as you call me to walk. This is a core issue. If we're going to walk as the kingdom of God and walk as believers the way God calls us to. We've got to really believe that our father loves us and has only good in store of us. Has only the best plan for us. His plan is a good plan and we can trust him but until we can really believe that we're going to struggle and we'll be packing our bag every other day and we'll be beaten up against the wall God is a loving God and cares deeply for us he is first and foremost in the bible presented as a father did you know in fifteen, uh, 15 different places in the old testament God was referred to as a father that's, that's not a whole lot but it's there and did you know also, look at this in Jeremiah 3 13, 3 19? Here, here what this says. Then I said, How I would set you among my sons and give you a pleasant land, the most beautiful inheritance of all the nations. I said, You shall call me my father, and not turn away from following me. Way back in the old testament. God's revealing to the people that he called to be his nation. This is how I want you to know me. I want you to see me as your father. Well, let's fast forward a little bit to the New Testament. Where we see Jesus coming and representing for us how humanity ought to live with God. Because somehow or another, even though this was very clear and plain, somehow or another, it got missed. And to really relate to God in a fatherly, loving child, loving father relationship, it just wasn't quite that way. And so when Jesus comes on the scene, he reveals for us how human beings are supposed to walk with God Almighty. And now instead of 15 times of understanding, Jesus himself refers to God 165 times in the Gospels as Father. (laughs) All over the place, he's calling him Father. He first and foremost refers to him as Father. And then he uses a word that's really different for Father. Not the praetor, which is a Greek word referring to God in his holiness as Father, but also Abba, Father. It's a word that carries with it a lot of intimacy. And and in some circles today, there's been this transition... To using that word as daddy, well, it, it carries that kind of intimacy, but not that kind of carelessness. Because <laughs> sometimes daddy gets treated more like a, yeah, not, not having all the respect that daddy ought to have. <laughs> and that's totally not what Jesus was talking about. But the intimacy part there that's been missing was absolutely what he was talking about, and he wanted people in this life to understand that God wanted a very close relationship with us, and a, and a relationship such that they could have a hundred percent confidence in who He was and what position He held in their life. And even though that child may not reach out every single day, they never have a doubt. That he's always there for them, right? Because that's what a child who understands father as daddy knows. He would take a bullet for him. In human terms, right? Or he'll take a cross for him. As he did. So we could have a relationship with him. And so Jesus paints that clearly for us and wants us to get a hold of that. You know, some are challenged with this idea as God is Father because they don't know of a really good fatherly example in their life. And that's sad. But that doesn't mean we can't have that. We can go to the Word and see that and we can be drawn into that. You know, I was one of those guys. I didn't have a great fatherly example. and my, my, my dad passed early in my life. But I'll never forget the day that I read a verse of Scripture that changed my life. In Psalm 68, verse 5, a father to the fatherless and a husband to the widow is our God. And it just kind of slapped me upside the head. And I thought, oh God, I've been missing out. I've never been fatherless. You've always been willing to be my father. And so from that time on, I just kind of dove into that. And I, I began to build my relationship with God as if he was the only father I ever had. And God began to fill spots that I I didn't know he could fill. God is a great father. You need to give him a chance to be so. Learn to look at him that way with full respect and confidence and know that he loves you more than you could ever, ever realize. Second thing about God's household He's, he's the only father. He's in charge. But in God's household, we are called by two metaphors, as the scripture teaches. In one of those metaphors, we're called a bride, the bride of Christ. We're going to come back to that in just a second. In another one, we're called sons and daughters, those that have been adopted into the family. As we see Jesus, the firstborn among many in the family. And so we see ourselves being called by the word of God, sons and daughters in his family. We saw one place already were saints. But in this sons and daughters, this adoption into the family of God, there comes in that some sense of real belonging, doesn't there? There comes in that some sense of being a part of the family line. The blood is in us. We're part of the bloodline. It's also covered us, right? (laughs) We understand that. Look at Galatians chapter 4, verse 5. So that we might redeem, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive the adoptions of sons. That includes you ladies too and daughters. Because you are sons and daughters of God as sent forth the Spirit. His son into our hearts. Now, not only am I his son, I've had his very essence placed in me to identify with that. I know whose I am. If you take a son that's in healthy relationship in their family, you can't convince them that they're not part of the family. It don't matter if you picked on them their whole life and told them you were adopted. You're not part of the family. None of y'all had kids do that before, have you? I don't think anybody. Did y'all do that to each other? I don't know if anybody did that. But but the the idea is that we know that we're part of the family. Because we have that sense of identity, right? And God's done that for us through the Holy Spirit. So that inside our hearts, we cry out, Abba, Father. Look at verse 7. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son or a daughter. And if you're a son or a daughter, you're an heir. Now, there was a process that had to happen for this to take place. I mean, some of y'all that adopted kids understand there's a process involved, right? There's a lot that has to happen to make it take place. In our case, there had to be a sin problem addressed. And God did that through Jesus Christ. And it was a high price to pay. You know, I, I was talking to somebody the other day. Uh, some people that have gone through some of these adoption processes, some some of these things can be forty, fifty thousand dollars. It's a lot of money. Pretty costly. That ain't nothing to the price God paid. That ain't nothing. The price that God paid in in order to get you and I to be sons and daughters in His family is phenomenal. Again, if if that's of no value, then you misunderstanding value. Because that's the greatest value ever uh, paid for something. And that God would pay that for us. To make us a son and daughter. And then to place in us the seal of his family. Sealed by the Holy Spirit. That will constantly lead you and teach you in truth. And affirm for you who you are. And confirm for you that he's there and with you. And that you're never going to be alone. And that he'll never leave you and never forsake you. He's done all that for you. As a son. As a daughter. And he's made you an heir. And made me an heir. All that's afforded to Jesus Christ. Think about that. That's a lot. Is afforded to me. In my humanity. Because I'm a joint heir. That scripture says in another place, in Jesus Christ. And God tells us in the Word, I'm just going to go quickly to a passage of scripture to help us to kind of understand what we say we know. But God tells us how sons and daughters ought to live. No less than any other family, it'd be clear. In Ephesians 6 1, we have it, right? I mean, obviously, if this is what He looks for in an earthly family, He certainly looks for it in His family, right? And there it says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. I mean, do do we need to make this harder than it really is? Isn't it pretty simple? God wants it to be that simple for us. Here here we go, Chris. You want to know how to live in my family? Just obey me. Here it is. Learn it. Walk according to it. If you do, it'll go well with you. We know the scripture says. It's the first commandment with a promise. Honor your father and your mother in human terms, but as it relates to God. Honor him as father so that it may be well with you. If it's going to be well with you from their sake, it's going to be well with you from God's sake as well. And certainly it is. I mean, he so desires that. He, he's looking for those who are walking in that kind of relationship so he can just pour his blessings out on them. That's what the scripture teaches. It's a whole other sermon, but it's there. And that you might live long on the earth. Well, we could go on and on in that concept. How about we just wrap it up with this verse, 1 Peter 1:14, as it relates to our role as sons and daughters. As obedient children... Do not be conformed. Now this is where Peter's specifically talking to us as children in the family of God. This is not just about family life principles that we got in Ephesians. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. I didn't know any better, but now I do. How do I know better? Because I have a guidebook. And I've got some experiences that's taught me and I've learned through people around me that God's put around my life. And so I can't claim ignorance anymore. So what's my role? My role is to be obedient. And just to settle that. Well, what if I mess up? Well, God's not surprised. He knows that you're at a certain level in your growth as a child in this family. But he still has that same desire. He's ne- Listen, I've got news for you. God's never, ever, ever going to change his position and his desire for you as a son or daughter in his family. He's never going to change that. He's not going to wake up tomorrow and say, oh by the way, you know all that stuff that I really wanted you to walk in as an obedient family member? I kind of changed my mind on that. I don't really care about that. It's never going to happen. He's always going to have that same desire for us to walk as obedient children because he knows it's good for us. It's healthy for us. It helps us to grow up and mature, and in the process, he gets honored in every respect. That other role was the bride of Christ, where we are to actually, that other metaphor, which we are actually, as sons or daughters, as part of the family of God, to end up being a reflection of his glory. That's the end result of the bride of Christ. That we would somehow honor him in our relationship with him, as we look at it as it relates to the church as a whole. Look at that verse in Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So that he might sanctify her. Now we're talking about what he wants for us. That other metaphor is the bride of Christ. Having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. That's who he's made us to be. That he might present for himself the church in all her glory. That's what he wants for us to be. An example and a presentation to the world of what happens when a person ends up in a relationship with holy God. That he purifies us and cleanses us. Having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing. But that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought to also love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ also does the church. Because we are members of his body. For this reason a man should leave his father and mother and they shall be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. We could camp out there for a while. God really wants us to be one flesh in him. We ought not have any division in our relationship and continuity with him and who he is as our father. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ in the church. So there's analogy and application for us in humanity, but the picture of the analogy comes in relationship for us to Christ. I'm speaking in reference to Christ in the church. Nevertheless, let each individual among you also uh, is to love his own wife, even as himself, and his wife must uh, see to it that she respects her husband. I'm not, I'm not preaching a long sermon right now on husband and wife relationships. I'm just reminding us right now of our relationship to God and his family as one that holds him in high regard and respect. As it relates to us being the bride of Christ. As one that reflects his glory and seeks to honor him. As it relates to our being the bride of Christ. And as one who chooses to walk in full humility and submission and obedience. As one who is a son or daughter in the family of God. And so those metaphors ought to be who we are and what our identity is. Let me close with this last thing that goes back to that handout I was telling you about that you can get a copy of. There's, I think, 35 or so out there, so take one per family. If you need more later, just let me know. But I want to go on to this next concept of the household of God, the final point. The household of God we first looked at has one father. The household of God is full of saints... Who are called sons and daughters, who are to emulate obedience to him and also reflect the beauty of the bride of Christ to him. The household of God, though, we've got to understand, has some basic principles of how we function, how we live it out daily. And I want to give you just four real quick basic concepts that are kind of character traits of the household of God. And I'll give you some scripture verses to back them up. And this is what I came together with these folks years ago and said, as I understand it, here's how church is supposed to function. I didn't have any, I didn't have any guidebook to go to. (laughs) Well, I had a great guidebook to go to, (laughs) but I didn't have any other denominational framework that I was trying to follow at that moment. I was trying to just see what the Word of God says a church is supposed to be and how it's supposed to function. And so out of that, I presented that document that basically says, you know, we're to function like a family. We're to understand who the father is. We're to understand that we're the children. And that we're to live that out. Basically, holding fast to that concept in Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, where it talked about at all costs, at all costs, preserving the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. That's what we're supposed to be as a family. Those committed to trying to preserve that unity. Trying to preserve that bond of peace. So it's lived out, I think, in four basic principles. One is the principle of getting together. Hard for a family to grow together if they don't get together, right? We call it church attendance. <laughs> you know? In Ephesians, I mean Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, it's called the assembly, right? And we are called as principal members of the family of God to this principle of getting together. Listen, this is why it's important for you to come to church. It's not because if you don't come to church enough, you won't go to heaven. That's not, that's not it. It's about you learning how to grow in your family. And if you're never together with your family, you're not going to grow deeper together as a family, right? It's a very basic principle committed to gathering together. So as often as you're able, please Come. Please be a part of us. Please be committed to fellowshipping with the believers so that we can grow in depth and maturity together. It's one of the ways we mature as a family. So, as the scripture says, that we might encourage each other more and more as we see that they draw near, and it is drawing near. Whole another sermon there. How about another principle? How about the principle of understanding leadership? Just like you understand a father. If we don't have that concept among us, then we're not going to be able to mature and grow the way we ought to. If we don't realize that God sets up a family with some leadership. I'm not talking about having this concept that everybody beat down under the leader's thumb. That's not it, it at all. It's the idea of respecting what God's doing among his family. Just like we respect God as the family leader in our family and so God places among the fellowship individuals to fill those roles and God would just ask us to respect those roles to honor that that's not to say that you'll never be disagreeable or that you don't ever have another opinion anybody ever have kids in their household that express their difference of opinion along the way okay (laughs) there's room for that you can have an expression of difference of opinion but in a healthy family And that father explains to the child who expressed their difference of opinion. He tries to communicate why we're doing it the way we're doing it. You don't have to agree, I get it. But we're doing it this way because we think it's best for the family. Well that's the way God's kind of structured His church. As we've looked at already, we understand that that functions through eldership. Other churches do it different ways, that's okay. But the concepts there in the Word of God without a a shadow of a doubt. And so we need to find ourselves committed to that. First Timothy 5:17 says this: "Let elders rule well." Or it says, "The elders who rule well, rule well, are to be considered worthy of double honor." Now, here's our problem: as soon as people read a phrase "rule well," something kind of gets in our back. <laughs> he ain't telling me what to do. I'm a priest in the family of God. I believe in the priesthood of the believer. Don't be telling me what to do. And We're missing the concept when that happens. I didn't write this. That same same book that we get the priesthood of the believer and the individuality of our relationship with God, that same book's what wrote this. Same Holy Spirit. And it tells us that when we understand we have leadership roles, that we just respect them. That's all. We honor them, respect them, because that's the way God designed it. And we just want to walk in agreement. If we have some disagreements and misunderstandings, hey, we're going to voice it like always. We're going to share our hearts with one another. And, but we're in the end result going to trust that somehow they're trying to follow God the best they can. And we're going to honor them for that. Especially those that work hard at preaching and teaching. Because they're trying to communicate the truth of God's word. Another principle that's pretty clear As it relates to family principles. It's the principle of maturation. What do I mean by that? The principle of desiring growth. In the individual members of the family. How many of you have had kids. And when they were babies. You looked at them and said. I hope you never ever grow another ounce. Sound kind of dumb doesn't it? What would happen if, if we saw that happen? We'd all be babies. <laughs> it wouldn't be healthy, would it? It wouldn't be the norm of what God desires for that baby. We w- Matter of fact, if you had a kid and you saw over a period of a year, it never added one ounce to its body, what would you be doing? Going to the doctor. Why? Get some help, what would you say? not normal something's wrong here <laughs> and so here's the problem at that time in my life as I was thinking what's supposed to, what's the family the church supposed to look like the problem I was running up against as I tried to find a model to say plug and play this I was looking at the average church from what I was expressed or experiencing and saying oh my goodness Where's the teenagers? Where's the young adults? Where's the grown-ups? Where's the mature men and women in the body of Christ? Why is every church I seem to look at, uh, you know, an inch thick and a mile wide? Where's the depth in the understanding of the Word of God? Where's the depth of really walking by faith? Where's the depth in full, absolute, deep commitment to the will of God? Willing to submit, willing to say no to their own ways, willing to set their desires aside, willing to say they want Him and Him alone, where is it? There's a maturation problem. And if we're going to be a healthy family, we need to see people growing up in the Lord. Moving forward, no longer holding on to the elementary principles of the Word. I mean, it's a whole nother sermon, right? And So maturation is key. And Ephesians chapter 4 speaks to that. I'm not going to take the time to read all those verses. But it's really clear in verse 15 where it says, But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects to him. Who is the head? Even Christ. Listen, don't ever be satisfied we're staying a baby in Christ. Have a deep desire to grow up and be useful to the master. Making the augmentations and changes in your life that you know honors the father of the family. So that he can use you. Finally, I and mean I'm wrapping a lot of stuff up here slowly. But I want to say this last thing. But this last thing is interesting because we don't get to control it. I wish I could. This last thing is the principle of mature, of reproduction. I mean a healthy family grows, right? You want it to grow. It grows in a thousand ways, all right? Has ministry opportunities and many. You're multiplying yourself all the time. I'm not talking about just in births. Sometimes it's in adoptions. Sometimes it's in mentoring. Sometimes it's in, in fathering those who are not even your own. You know? I mean, I could tell you stories. I mean, I've got four or five individuals in my life that, even though I didn't have a physical, matter of fact, I just wrote a card this morning to one. And, and I wrote in the letter, I said, I'm thinking this morning about the fathers and mentors God placed in my life. Jeff Pound. John Steele, um, Peter Lord, and then I was writing to Howell Upchurch. And you, Howell, and May, who have been fathers and mentors and mothers in my life, that had I not had them, I wouldn't have been able to grow up. And God's doing that all the time in lots of ways. But, you know, here's the thing we think about in in multiplication. We just think in terms of size in in the sanctuary, Right? (laughs) Listen, it's so much bigger than that. So much bigger than that. We'd like to see that here, wouldn't we? I mean, everybody wants to see their family grow to a a certain extent. But when that happens, you don't get to control. As it relates to physical births, you don't get to control, do you? That's up to God. As it relates even to the opportunities to be a mentor. Or an impact on the life. No, you don't even get to control that. God brings them in your life or out of your life, right? But what he can do is, I mean, what you can do is find yourself faithful and committed to the principle. That when the opportunity there, I'm going to be useful to God in this reproduction process. And in this mothering and fathering and mentoring and caring process. So that the family of God is healthy. Honorable to the Lord. Man, there's, I mean, we could talk a long time about all these things, right? But you get the core concept. That's who we are here. That's what we're committed to as Living Hope. We're committed to being a, a church that lives like a family, trying to walk in these family principles, honoring God as the Father and Him alone, seeking to be good, obedient children to His will and His way, and then to walk in these basic household principles that He's given us to walk in as a group of believers. Maybe, maybe you're still not in the family. Only you and God know, right? Before you leave today, the first step for you is to get in his family. <laughs> maybe you've been rebelling against the father. You know? He's that father on the hill waiting for the prodigal son to come home. Guess what? When you get home, it's still going to be his household. It's still going to be his ways. But he's ready. He's waiting. And so respond to that today. Maybe maybe it's just an awareness, God, i got to grow up in some of these things that you've called me to grow up in. It's time for me to move forward. And just respond to that and hear the Holy Spirit speak to your heart and say, Lord, I'm going that way. It doesn't matter whether anybody else does or not. Let's pray about that and respond as the Holy Spirit. Thank you for listening today.